Again, Daniel chapter 2, or 3. Oh, yesterday I was debating, should I preach, should I not? I have good, hard times through the day. I did one thing I should have not done, is when I came here, I kept talking to people. <laughs> should have put it all together and just had 30 minutes. But we'll see. If not, you may have the shortest message you've ever had. And no, do not say, well, I wish you'd have laryngitis all the time. The image of gold. <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as some would say, Abednego. As one old preacher said of this entire chapter, those three Hebrew boys didn't bow, they didn't bend, and they didn't burn. And that's really going to be the outline. I'm just going to use those three major points. We'll look at two today and one next week because there's so much in the last part. But again, we're looking at another illustration, not so much to learn about uh, people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not to learn about Daniel. All right, I'll call him Abednego. Uh, I remember Woodrow Kroll saying one time, it is not Abednego, it's Abednego, but we'll call him Abednego for your sake. <clears throat> it's not to learn about them. It is to learn about the sovereignty and the power of Jehovah. That's why this chapter is here. The power of God. So let's just jump right in, because again, I'm not sure how long my voice is going to hold out. We have Daniel's friends would not bow, would not bow. And we see the construction of the image. Rather than reading through it, I'm just going to read through it as we go. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. By the way, between chapter 2 and 3, we don't know exactly how many years, but probably between 15 and 20 years has transpired from chapter 2 to chapter 3. Remember, chapter 2 is where Daniel gives the uh, dream and also interprets for King Nebuchadnezzar the, uh, the kingdoms of this world and who is going to be in Jerusalem and Israel over um, uh, not only conquering them, but going to be controlling them. <clears throat> we call it the times of the Gentiles. And he laid it right out. He said, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, is the head of gold. The Medo-Persians are the silver arms and, and the upper body part. And then you're going to have bronze, which is the Greek empire. By the way, the empires were never named, but we find through history who they are. I mean, the first one was, and actually the second one was um, later on in the, in the book. But like we bronze, we know simply because of who took over and then Rome was the iron legs, and then we have the feet of clay, the iron mixed with clay, which is the revived Roman Empire. That image, that interpretation, was 15, 20 years probably earlier. And what has happened, and by the way, it's interesting, if you go to chapter 2, look at verse 46. After getting the interpretation, we never even finished with this last week, but it says King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel. Now think about that. <laughs> the almighty King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't just say, hey, good job, Daniel. 
fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal the secret. I mean, doesn't that sound like a conversion right there? Sounds like the guy got saved. But actually, his heart never changed. I mean, yes, he did profess that God is the God of gods, which is true, and the Lord of kings, that is true. But again, we find that just here, many years later, he is literally making an image and telling people to um, worship that false image. So his heart never changed. This was, if you want to say, a superficial conversion. Matthew chapter 13 <coughs> says, Now he who received <coughs> sower and seed, the seed among thorns, is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. See, this is a false profession. And probably what happened was this. As year after year went by, Nebuchadnezzar said, well, you told me that this image was of the kingdoms, and you start out with me as being the top one. <coughs> I'm going to change this. <laughs> I'm going to change it so that God is not in control. I am in control, and I'm going to make the entire image of gold. Do you see what he's doing? See, he's like saying, listen, yeah, you told me that other kingdoms are going to come and go, but I haven't seen any. By the way, just because God doesn't work in our timetable doesn't mean that God is not God. (laughs) Just because God doesn't work, you know, according to how the unsaved think he should work, doesn't mean he's not God. God is patient. Just because we have not yet seen the feet of iron and clay doesn't mean it's not coming. So, he builds this image. By the way, uh, he... Notice how big it is. Um, 90, that's 90 feet by 9 feet. 99. That is totally out of proportion. I mean, that thing would have been this lanky looking thing. (coughs) Most likely what it was, was a huge platform. And they actually found one on the plains of Dura. A huge platform on which this image of gold was placed. So the total was 90. Probably the... (coughs) See, I'm really good until I start talking. (laughs) Unfortunately. Anyways, so you probably had a maybe 60-foot image by 9. That's proportion, maybe 45. By the way, not solid gold. There wasn't enough solid gold. What it would have been is uh, wood overlaid with gold. (coughs) Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. So, see, when the human heart does not turn to God... It creates its own image and wishes that everybody else would worship it. That's exactly what you see here. The human heart, man, king, wanting everyone to worship him. Let's look at the consecration. Verse 2, And the king sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, anybody of any, I mean, you have in there the judges, you have the landowners, you have the governors, you have everybody. 
Everybody's going to come together to do one thing for the dedication of the image that this king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud to you it is commanded, people, nation, languages. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, when you hear them in symphony, fall down and worship. The gold image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, that's interesting. That, excuse me, not of. That King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And you know, what was it made of? I mean, was it of a former god like Nebo? <clears throat> was it of the king himself? Was it him making a new god? We don't really know what it was of. I, I personally think it was of him. Um, but anyways, so they heard the cry. Uh, the, 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 then a herald cried out to you know, fall down. And so at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the, those instruments, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image. Everyone. And you might say, so what was the purpose? Was he trying to get you know, like self-worship? Well, it was part of it. It was both political and religious. That was the reason for it. It was a way to unite the entire kingdom. So it wasn't just religious, it was also political. Everybody united under this new, I believe this, a new form of religious worship. Unified government. (coughs) It's interesting that... um, in Babylon is where a lot of the mystery religions were created. So, he created a state religion. Everything together. And you'd have to ask, well, this is an idol. This is an image. Are there still idols today? I mean, does our world come along and say, listen, I want you to worship this, and they put up a, a gold image. Let's talk about idols. Because I think idols are very, very prevalent. You remember in Exodus 20, part of the Ten Commandments, first two was what? You shall have no other, no other gods before me. And then verse, the second one is this, what? <coughs> What's that? You should not make for yourself an image in the, a God in the image of, of anything, right? No, did I say that right? You shall not make for yourself a carved image in the form of anything. One guy said this, man continues this flight into idolatry. Actually, we have a lot of idols around America. Again, a very famous concept was uh, John Kelvin, 500 plus years ago. And he said, you know what? The human heart is a factory. What do you mean factory? Doesn't produce cars. Doesn't produce... uh, I used to work in a factory. I used to produced, they were a big pain. Um, Craft ketchup packages. You know, little things that you get. They were the biggest pain because if they weren't exactly on, you'd have ketchup everywhere because when that cutter went through, it cut right through the package. And it was like a mess. You know, for every one that we produced, every 10 we produced, we probably threw away five. You know, it was like crazy. What do you mean? The, The heart is a factory and it just makes, what does it make? Idols. Our hearts, even our hearts, continually seeks after something other than God. 
unless you understand that it's doing that, you'll go down that path very, path very easy. Well, you say, well, what is idolatry? Now, again, I want to put this in the context of even the simplest of things. Exodus 20 says, you shall have no other God. You shall have nothing else than, than beside Jehovah. You shall have no other God that you can see a carved image of anything. And yet, as an old preacher of last century said, like the flow of a river which cannot be stopped, but which can be diverted, the yearning of man's soul for an object of worship can easily turn from the true God to another. Ah, again, we are, we are worshipers. The only problem is it like easily diverts into the wrong direction. You could be singing songs to the Lord just a few minutes ago, and be, before you leave your seat, you could be worshiping at a false idol. <clears throat> How do you mean? Well, something comes to your mind. A worry. Something you're worried about. Something that you have close to your heart, and now you're not sure if it's going to still be there. And your heart moves in the, in the area of an idol. So that's just a simple thought. See, what is idolatry? Idolatry is anything you consider to be more important than the true God. Now, just think, anything you consider to be more important than the true God. Another definition that I've used over the years by a guy named Jones, he says this, idolatry means to worship someone or something other than the true and living God. It is giving yourself to some person, some goal, some ideal, or some object other than Jesus. And, and I really like this little phrase that he's going to use. It involves, quote, hitching your heart. Hitching your heart. Do we ever hitch our heart to, to some false savior and refuge? Hitching your heart. In other words, something that you find solace in, something you find refuge in, something you find comfort in, something that you find hope in, that's idolatry. He continues, exalting your personal desire above the Lord, serving some master other than God. End quote. And unfortunately, man is incurably religious and therefore incurably a worshiper, which is, that's good. But we are constantly on the move. And we think that we are now worshiping the true God and maybe we're worshiping something other than true God. Something other than the true God. Over the years, I've broken many of these into P's. They just happen to fall that way. What are some things that we can worship? And they all start with P. Uh, possessions. <laughs> can we worship possessions? Possessions. Do you spend more time thinking about possessions than you do about the true God? You know, we spend a huge amount of time and energy on possessions. Quote, the principal false God of our times is our standard of living, one man said. Our standard. And I thought about that, you know, and I thought, you know, maybe that's where a lot of our problems are. We have the standard of living, and quite honestly, we never want to give that up. Right? And quite honestly, because we've just gone, and I, I don't want to keep going back to the political thing, but to be honest with you, a lot of what I think I have dealt with was that right there. I don't want to give up my standard of living. 
I mean, sure, I'll pray for the African <laughs> that doesn't have much, lives on $2 a day. But Lord, I don't want to go there. It's okay for him. He can do it. I mean, he's got a different set of values, but not for me. Well, I don't know what the Lord has, but the point is our standard of living could be an idol in and of itself. That's why, you know, we talk about the love of money. By the way, I, I want to do the Dave Ramsey series, not so that you have more money, although I think that might happen. The point is, I, I want to make sure that we start, I mean, again, and we've, I, I've taught Larry Burkett classes, we taught Ron Blue classes. I want to make sure that we are not making money, the love of money. I mean, the, the, that, that becomes our idol, the love of money. Again, I, I'm excited to go through it myself. Colossians says this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness. More, wanting more, that's idolatry. That's possessions. Uh, number two, uh, I put these all together. Power, prominence, popularity. Th- those are all kind of like gods of self. Power, prominence, popularity. When a person wants to be recognized, when they want to have a position of power, I want to be chairman. I want to be remembered. Sometimes you see uh, uh, stars, you know, people who are famous. They, they give money to a certain organization because then their name will be on the building, so they will be remembered. I am so thankful that this earth burns at the end. I am. I am. That's just such a relief to me because it doesn't matter about being remembered because it's not going to be remembered that long. You know what I'm saying? When it's all said and done, that means nothing because I know that it's all going to burn up. I'm so thankful. I am. I'm very thankful for that. That just changes the way I look at people and myself. But our world keeps banging that, no, you are the, oh, the most important person in the whole wild world. <laughs> the whole wide world, I know, I can't say it, okay, is... Who? Me. You. And, and you don't even know it. Now, power, prominence, popularity can be one. How about this? Another person. Sometimes we put as the, our idol our child, our spouse, a friend. It's so interesting. Hannah of the Old Testament prayed for its son, Samuel. The Lord gave her a son and she gave him to the Lord's service and then basically walked away. He's yours. He's yours. Abraham was promised a son, Cain, Isaac. What? Are you willing to slay him? Do you see see what they're doing? They're saying, God, you are God and no one else. It's an interesting story about Charles Spurgeon. Just before he was married, he arrived with his fiancée at a place where he was going to preach. Now, again, not yet married, this big crowd of people. And through the process of getting through the crowd, they got separated. And there was like a thousand plus people there. When he failed to find her after the meeting, oh, this is a addendum. And so rather than waiting for her, he just got up and started preaching. Because that's what God called him to do. When he failed to find her after the meeting, he went over to her house 
where he found her pouting. She said, quote, Charles, you left me in the crowd all alone, and you weren't even concerned where I was, end quote. To this he replied, quote, I'm sorry, but perhaps what happened was providential. I didn't intend to be impolite to you, but whenever I see a crowd like that waiting for me to preach, I am overwhelmed, quote, with a sense of responsibility before God. I forgot about you. <laughs> now, it will have to be the rule of our marriage that the command of my master comes first. You shall have second place. Are you willing as my wife to take a second place while I give the first place to Christ? Unquote. And he and her, he was a very faithful husband and he, she was a very faithful wife. But I could see some people in our society actually going up to Charles Spurgeon and slapping him on the hand and don't you... Un no. You know what? I really do believe this. That if there was... A main, well, there's a lot of idolatry in the church. Now, I don't mean this church, I mean the American church. But I think one of the greatest places that looks so spiritual and, it's, and from God it's so wrong is our own families. I really do. I think there's a lot of idolatry when it comes to our own families. Be careful that you do not make your children a God. See, I have a child. I hear this sometimes of young ch parents and therefore I can't get involved. Why? Because I've got a child. Or I can't use my gift. Why? Because I have a child. Or it, their game takes precedence over worship on Sunday morning. Why? I got a child. Uh, really? <laughs> I know we're not on the old covenant. Just remember this. A Jew that didn't do the Sabbath, they weren't even considered a Jew. In fact, if they kept breaking the Sabbath, you know what they did? Stone them. They were killed. It was huge. Because you shall have no other God before me. By the way, a lot of times you know whether or not you have an idol, and this is how. You get angry when it's exposed. In other words, if you're right now saying, oh, I can't believe he's even saying that. Just think, wait a second, what are you saying? I, actually, I, I question whether to even say that because I thought, you know what? I might have some people leave the church because of this. Just because I said, you know, we can make our own children an idol. You know what? We can. It is very easy. And you know what I find? A lot of times the Lord tests us. And he says, where your real allegiance lie? See, what we worry about, what we get angry about when we don't get are many times our idols. And you can identify what you really are living for, who is your real God, by this. Who do you quote? I mean, emphasis. Who do you sacrifice for? Who do you sacrifice for? Oh, I don't have a, an idol of money. Well, do you ever give? Actually, that's the biggest antidote for materialism, giving. Oh, I don't have an idol of my own children, but I expect I have to do everything they need, everything they want, everything they desire. Oh, no, 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 no. People, people can become an idol. Pleasure. What? Whether it's in front of a flat screen, a game, a movie, a ride at a theme park, sensual lust, playing a sport, going hunting. Are pleasures wrong? No. No, I like some of those and some of them I don't. But am I still willing to sacrifice for God or do those take precedent? See, sometimes, and, 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 and when I bring this up, oh, I wish you'd stop being a legalist. Ha, it's not legalism. 
You shall have no other God before me. That was back in Exodus 20. It's not legalism. By the way, you deal with it yourself. I am just the messenger. I just want to make sure you know what God's standard is in holding you to it. You know, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to be the religious police or, you know, the elder with a badge. Well, I mean, if I see you really where, I'm going to, I might ask you some questions. But I'll tell you what, if you get angry at me, that's a pretty good indicator that I've just hit one of your idols. Again, I'm not trying. Actually, as I was going through this, man, the Lord really worked on my heart in two areas. And he just said, that is what you've been dealing with, John, and you better get it straight. Because you're not loving me and loving that thing. And, and, and at least one of them wasn't even, was nothing bad. I mean, it was just all allegiance and loyalty has to be to God. So pleasure, and then finally, politics. <laughs> that can become our God. Hoping that certain people are in power because they give us comfort. I like what that old uh, preacher, Andrew Blackwell, he was a, a prof emeritus at Princeton. And he, his little quote was this, In America today, false gods abound. And a lot of times they creep right into the church. And again, what is my purpose in saying all that? It's not to condemn you or me. It's that, Lord, I want to honor you. Don't you want to honor the Lord? Don't you want to hear, well done? Man, you fulfilled your life. You, you lived it to its potential because you follow me and not all the other stuff. Yeah. How about verse 8? Let's go on to a third thing, the contempt of the, for the image. The contempt. Again, he set up an image. It was the false god. Therefore, at that time... Certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king, O king, live forever. Smoogers. <laughs> you know, let me tell you, king, how much you... I mean, that was a common phrase. I mean, you would never go to a, a monarch and say, you know, O king, live for two more years. <laughs> no, live forever. <laughs> I am a loyal subject. But then they accuse him. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They're not on your side. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. It's interesting that he'd split that. He's not just saying everything about the image. He's saying they don't worship your gods, which there were many in the Babylon system. And as far as this image that you put up, it's 90 feet tall, they don't bow to that either. Why did they accuse the Jews? Well, probably because they were envious. You see, back in uh, verse 49 of chapter 2, now this was many years before, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province. You know? People get jealous. There's a lot of jealous and rivalry, and many times that's why there are problems within institutions and stuff. But they accuse because of their resentment, because of their envy, because of their jealousy. And then some might say, well, but shouldn't they be obeying the government? I mean, doesn't Romans say that God established the authorities and we ought to obey rulers? And verse 7 even says, render therefore to all their due. Well, yeah, but Christians should never disobey the Lord in obeying the government. In just one verse is Acts 5.29. Peter when, and John are told, and the apostles are told, uh, not to preach and not to do what God has said. And then they said this, we must obey God rather than men. 
See, Daniel 2, I'm going just thinking back. Daniel 2, his image proved that God was in, in control of all authorities and all governments. Right, the image? So the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had been established by God did not make Nebuchadnezzar God. So when given the opportunity and, God, and Nebuchadnezzar wants to be worshipped as God, we, they said no. So if government ever tries to control our conscience and tries to tell us how to worship, we have to obey God rather than human beings. At whatever the cost. And that, by the way, you know, I can say that very freely this year, 2012. I'm just going to get harder and harder to be able to say that in the sense of, no, of knowing that there's going to be retribution from the government. You're going to see our government, I'm almost positive, take away our freedoms bit by bit. may not be all at once. But are we willing to still say, no, we serve the true God? And whatever is set up is set up by God, is allowed by God. But you're not God. God is God. Again, that's fighting against idols. That's why it's important to, to get straight that we're serving God now. Get rid of those peas, possessions and power and prestige and prominence and politics out of your life now. And people in the sense of worshiping or, or serving them because there's going to be another day probably where as we get closer to the end, I think you're going to have to make choices as far as no, we, we worship the true God. Well, let's go to a third or second major point. Daniel's friends would not bend. They would not bow. This one is they would not bend. And this is the rage of the king. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. He basically said, is it true? And is it true you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image? And he gives them a, a second chance, as it were. Now, if you're already at the time, you hear the sound of the horn and all the instruments. And if you bow down, he says, good. Oh, probably, by the way, he's giving them leeway because I think of the prominence of Daniel in, in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And you might even say, well, where is Daniel? He's still living. He lives for many, many years beyond this. Probably he's in a different part of the province. Probably. Or maybe even outside of the province. I mean, just because it says you get all the key leaders doesn't mean that every person and everybody and every peon is going to be at this, you know. I mean, you could never fit everybody in the plains of Durham. But the point is, is Daniel somewhere else and can't get back. Would he stand? Absolutely. I mean, you see Daniel, a very consistent young man. By this point, he's probably around 37 to 40. But bottom line is this. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the flame in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And, and now notice then he adds this. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? <laughs> he has just drawn the line in the sand and said, there ain't nobody going to stop this process. And yet they remain firm. Now, I can see what the rationalists of our society might say. I'll give you a couple. I can see the response of a person that says, you know, guys, you don't have to burn. <coughs> Someone might have said this. The three of you are obviously sincere and quite dedicated. We need more people like you, and that is the reason why you must listen to reason in this matter. If you persist in your obstinate disobedience, you are going to be killed, and your beneficial influence on Babylon will be over. Actually, you are just being misunderstood. You think that you're standing for the identity of the true God. That's what you're thinking, you three guys. 
but you are being viewed as political rebels of not giving loyalty to the king rather than a religious conviction that Jehovah is the only God. So just bow, knowing that he's not the true king and the true sovereign, so that you might continue to have influence. In other words, there will be people in your life that try to rationalize your behavior. Listen, it's not that bad. And if you, let's face it, if you die, your influence here is gone. So just go along with the crowd. Or there might be some theologian that would have said it this way. Listen, an idol is nothing. By the way, in the New Testament, that's what it says, Corinthians. So just fall down and worship it since the reality of it is this. It's nothing. But see, they weren't willing to bend. In fact, look at what it says. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the, and said to the king, Okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, the talking is done. We've made up our minds. The line has been drawn, but it's been drawn by us. And in saying that statement, they are saying this. They knew that following Jehovah was, a, was for them, <coughs> they were going to have to pay a huge price <coughs> to be faithful to God. I like what Dr. Jeremiah wrote of this little passage. He said this, quote, The world is crying out for men and women, boys and girls who have the conviction of heart and who do not change their convictions on the basis of their circumstance. These three men knew what God wanted them to do, and they weren't afraid of the consequence, end quote. Boy, may we be that type of person. May our children be raised to be that type of person. You know what, King Nebuchadnezzar? <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's been made up in our minds. There's no dickering. There's no rationalization. This is the way it is. And you might say, what is going on in their minds to get them that point? I, believe, I gave you last three, three things. Uh, in your outline. You might want to fill in a couple, three words. First of all, they knew that God was sovereign. And you see this in verse 17. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Is able. And by the way, they would have seen the, the fiery furnace. Now, it wasn't heated perhaps seven times at that very moment. But they saw, they knew what their fate was. And they said, listen, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's sovereignty. They knew that God was sovereign. I find it interesting. He's able to deliver us. The second one is this. He will deliver us from your hand. I think what they're saying is this, because of, because of the next verse. We might go into the fire. No, excuse me. You might, he might rescue us, and we won't have to go through the fire. That's he delivered us. We might go through the fire, and he'll deliver us. Or we might die in the fire. And by the way, he has still delivered us from your hand because we'll be dead with him. I.e., we believe in heaven. We believe in eternity. This is not all there is. Okay? Number two, they knew the scriptures. Again, going back, you show them no other gods before me. Because we know that they knew who God was according to that. Where'd they get that information? Through the revealed word of God. And number three, they were willing to die for their convictions. Verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, I mean, they were respectful, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. One, 
very godly pastor said it this way, and I, I think, boy, we've got to get this. We've got to get this part. He says this, quote, It is possible to believe in a sovereign God, number one, and know from Scripture what that sovereign God requires, number two, and yet fail to do the right thing because you are unwilling to pay the price of obedience. See, you might say, yeah, God is sovereign. Absolutely, amen, amen, praise the Lord. And I got it from Scripture, I know the Scriptures. Amen, praise the Lord. But unwilling to count the cost and do what is right at the moment when you're called to do what is right, right? Did you see the disconnect? Yeah, God is sovereign, I know it in Scripture, but I'm not gonna do it. See, they were willing to, they knew that there was a high price to be paid for faithfulness to God. Are you willing to pay the price? The price of maybe loss of popularity, of loneliness, of ridicule, of being made fun of, of economic hardship, of persecution. It's one thing to know he's sovereign, and this is where it's found. It's another thing to say, you know what, I'm a soldier, <laughs> and I'm not going to get entangled with the affairs of this world, and I'm going to walk with my Savior no matter what the cost, because the cost is immaterial because he's called me to do it. I think that's where sometimes the American church, Bible churches, me as a pastor, yeah, I know God is sovereign. Yeah, I know it's found in the word. I can tell you all kinds of things. But are we willing to pay the cost that it takes to follow the King of Kings? And I want to end with a video today. This is put out by the Voice of Martyrs. It was about a man who had to spend many days in jail, many years, Because he knew God was sovereign, he knew the scriptures, but beyond that, he wanted to follow his Savior, and therefore it meant persecution. for telling others about Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. 